0: This is The Soul's Intent with author, psychologist, and spiritual teacher, Ernie Vecchio. The Soul's Intent is a show that boldly claims that it can help reveal where you are on the spiritual path. Recent discoveries in physics and medical science have spearheaded a profound paradigm shift, one that holds that, in essence, psychological problems are a function of energy structures or fields. The Soul's Intent is here to help you learn what these instructions are. Learn how there is a physical place of love, truth, and freedom. Listen. And in an instant, learn that moving to such a place is actually a choice. This is The Soul's Intent, and now here's your host, Ernie Vecchio. can help me know my name.
1: Everybody in here struggle with ego. Yeah. And, uh, and what are you taught about it in your entire life? Yeah. What we're hearing now in the spiritual movement across the country is that it's kind of the bad guy that you go. But actually it isn't. The ego is a past tense version of yourself. It's the false self. It's the self you put on to survive your circumstances, right? And so um, what I'm learning about this and what I want to bring to the world from a 3,600-year-old teaching is, is that we created this ego. We created this ego and gave it a godlike status to give us a moral compass. And what's the significance of that? Well, because without this moral compass, we're we're, capable of incredible inventions and discoveries, but we're also capable of atrocities and terrible treatment of one another. So the moral compass piece was there and was put into the culture for us to kind of adopt. Until something happened, and if this doesn't happen, then you're not gonna make the shift. And what was the shift? The ego was brought into the present, how? through a moment of despair, of suffering. So, what's the buzzword in the community now? across the planet, presence, the power of now. Well, what I want to say to everybody is is that being present, which is pretty glorious, right? Everybody can pretty much say that being present, I say the blues are bluer and the greens are greener. Being present is pretty powerful. But what if I said to you that that's just so you can prepare for the next level, the next stage? And the next stage is catharsis. So guess what that means, what presence is in that context? Presence is an epiphany. What's an epiphany? It's this light bulb going off in your head and realizing that there's something larger at work. And you're not separate from it, you're actually attached to it. You and the source are one and the same. That's the epiphany. You actually go outside and go, wow, the leaves are green. My God, the sky is blue. Have you ever noticed, because everything looks so clear, You ever notice those days where you walk outside and go like, oh my God, it's so pretty. And what that is, is that all that film and filter that is in the humidity and in the air is gone and the clarity just kind of like, oh my gosh, I've got to get in my convertible and drive somewhere and go do this and share this with somebody, right? And so that's what I'm talking about. An epiphany is that level of clearness and that level of presence and you want to hold on to it. So all of the teachings across the country right now is about being here now, being in the moment. So this business of the God within is actually tied to the word enthusiasm. You know where the word comes from? It comes from the Greeks, which originally, yeah, which which means uh, the ecstasy or inspiration of God. Now the church got a hold of that and said that it was possessed by God, okay? but it it entered into the English-speaking world in 1603 Uh, and we kept the possession by God, okay? In theos means the God within, and we've kind of forgotten that. Well, what is this God within? Turns out the God within is male. Why? Because feminine, or the female principle, is based upon being in the world. It's tied to creativity and the act of becoming. Male energy is tied to doing. So we are moving and shifting into a time of feminine energy. This is what everybody's talking about. The shift of the ages is coming, it's feminine energy. Tied to the creative impulse, tied to intuition and to integrity. But how do you manifest that into the world? You gotta do something. So guess what the uh, teaching is telling us that we that the human spirit, believe it or not, is here to provoke your ego. To do what? Think of all the provocation in your life. Think how many times you've been provoked, your ego has been provoked. To do what? To wake up. To move to a place beyond just being conscientious, but to a place of presence. And then once you arrive, you have got to actually get to Uh, a place of catharsis. Now here's what's profound. What intelligence is doing that? I was talking to somebody the other day about how large evil was. Because they were, you know, do you believe in the devil? I get this all the time in my practice. What, you don't believe in the devil? And I say, I was born in hell, never met the guy. (laughs) Uh, And and I I say that, and I know it's funny, but I was. If any of you guys know my personal story, I was. I mean, when you're thrown out with the bathwater, that's pretty much hell. And, uh, but I said I saw God all over the place, right? And so, and if you don't understand it, if you believe in this, you actually become this. You become the very thing that you believe. We're finding this out, right? And so um, I had a person the other day kind of asked me about, well, if you don't believe in Satan, do you believe in evil? And I said, well, let's just say that maybe I do. How large do you think evil is? And she said, as large as the universe. And I said, no, and I took a little thing on the internet, and I. It kind of fans back 2,000 light years away from Earth, and you really can't even see Earth at this point. It's just another little blip. Actually, you can't see Earth, you can see the sun. It's a little blip in the universe. And I kept zooming in 1,000 light years, and you know, 500 light years, so we finally get up on the galaxy, and I, and I said, evil is as large as that little speck right there that we call the planet Earth. That's how large evil is. <laughs> and it's in us of what we're capable of, which is wonderful inventions and wonderful discoveries, but we're also capable of atrocities. And so the part about it that really disturbed me, and there's so many books out, I don't know if you guys are reading these books, about narcissism. Have you guys seen any books on narcissism lately that's, that are popping up? Narcissism is epidemic. Narcissism this, narcissism that. Well, guess what? We don't need self-love. And you don't need it because you already are all about I, I, me, me. Just love others as you love yourself. Well, where are we on that? How much self-esteem do we have? I had a couple the other day that came in, and uh, they were coming in to see me independently first before I worked with them together, and I asked them a little simple counseling question on a scale from one to ten, with ten being as great as you can feel about yourself, the one being as low as it gets, where would you put yourself on that on that scale? Women are notoriously the ones that pursue services. You know that, right? Guys don't do this. So of course she's sitting there pursuing the service and she wants help and she wants to save the marriage. And so she's about a 2-3. I said, well tell me then, if you're a 2-3, where would you place your husband on that scale? Oh, he would tell you he's an 8-9. <laughs> and I said, well sweetie, i got news for you, 89s don't hang around with 2 I said, tops, he's a 2-3 just like you. And, uh, and I said, and then, by the way, you're not really a 2-3, it's a made up number, right? So so this idea of self-esteem and self-worth, we spend a lot of time talking about in the culture. We, we need to go get it, self-esteem and self-worth. But what about self-love? It just sounds so egoic. Well, I actually struggled with that because I had shame as a demon. And my image, I'm kind of an image guy, I metaphor everything. My image for self-worth is a cup. And guilt is a hole in the side of the cup where the liquid runs down and stops right where the hole is. That's a mistake. Guilt is self-blame, self-punishment. You can fix mistakes. Shame is a hole in the bottom of the cup, which is a leak that you feel, and it's actually done to you. It's a hole in the psyche, if you will. And everything you put in the cup leaks out the bottom. So shame, as you can see, if guilt is, I made a mistake, shame is, I am a mistake. Now, everyone in this room have felt bad. Right? Shame. And that somehow you were a mistake. Well, I had it very deeply because God threw me away. Okay, that would be mom. And so this business of shame, and so when people would go out into, or I would go out into the world, and shame carries the projections of other people so well, and it's not, it's kind of like if somebody wants to project their ugly onto me, I would say, yeah, go ahead, I can carry your shame, no no, no problem. Because so it just passes right through me, just, you know, I got a hole in the bottom of my cup, I'm not going to, you know. So I can carry your projection. But the unfortunate part about that was they didn't see me, they only saw their ugly coming back. And so when you're tossed away by God, <clears throat> the first reaction that you have as you begin to get present and begin to be, become aware of this is, wow, I don't exist unless there's a, a, another set of eyes across the table from me that sees me. I'm not even here until somebody says, I see you. Well, what movie just came out and did that? Avatar, I loved it. And I thought, wow, somebody, somebody's getting it. Yeah, I see you, which means I love you in that movie. And so needing to be seen is not the same thing as the egos need to be seen. You see what I mean? You see the distinction? One is needing to be seen because yeah, you know, that's what the ego would do. Yeah, do you see me? Yeah, that's me. Where the soul would say, you see me? Oh my God, you know, have you got a minute? <laughs> uh, it's that kind, of a, that kind of a thing, it's that kind of a sensation. So, um, so this teaching is another thing that's profound that it's saying to us, you have suffered enough, you can stop, you don't have to suffer anymore. Now do you know why? Because you've already got enough suffering stored in your psyche, enough raw material you don't need to create anything new. This is the message here. You've already had enough adversity, enough pain, enough suffering to take that raw material and turn it into something. Now what's it supposed to turn into? Well, it's divinity, right? It's like that lump of coal you've heard me say before. And most people who are in West Virginia don't know this, but if you squeeze a lump of coal, it turns into a diamond It's an old Superman comic book thing. right? compressed carbon is a diamond, well that's your suffering. Except it isn't coal, it's like oil, it's like black gold, it's the tears of suffering that is stored in the reserve in your psyche, in your body in fact. It's the source of your disease, This ease So you bring the surface, you have, to go down to, you have to go down and get this reserve and pull it to the surface. Does that sound like fun? No it isn't, which is why people are not walking into it voluntarily. But what I what I want to tell you is that it isn't nearly as scary as you might imagine. You don't have to walk through all of the things you walked through when you experienced their original suffering. This is one of the disservices that we do to people. My profession will sit down and we'll, we'll get an abused person to sit in front of them and tell them their abuse story. And I don't do that, of course, because the story doesn't matter unless the individual has a need to tell the story, but I already know they've told the story a thousand times already. And for that person that has a need to tell the story, I always go like, okay, go ahead, tell me the story. And they do, and then I go like, was that useful? Was that helpful to you? And I said, not really. And I said, how many times have you told it? Oh, a lot. And I said, well, how do you feel right now? Awful. Why? Well, because I just went there by telling you the story. And so, This is one of the reasons why people are afraid of the potential for catharsis, that you have to walk through all of the hardships that you went through before to actually get the the benefit. Not true. Not true at all. If if there's anything true about it, that you are going to try to take the, the perception of the ego, which is a narrow viewfinder perception. Remember, the ego only sees the world through this viewfinder where the soul sees everything the viewfinder doesn't see. All you're really doing with a catharsis is you're backing that viewfinder away from your face and you're seeing the truth. and it will do what sets you free. yeah. And so And so the catharsis is a melting down of the ego. And the interesting change in words are you move from being conscientious, which is why we were given the moral compass to begin with, to a place of consciousness. And what is consciousness? Aware that you are aware. Which puts you in that position of observer and witness of your life, which is a neutral place to be, right? And that neutrality and that neutral place that you are in is actually what God sees. If I could tell anybody anything, it would be that we're okay. A shift is occurring. And the shift is in consciousness. Now, If you understand that death and rebirth is part of what it means to be on this planet and what it means to be human, then yes, change is coming. It's the only thing that's constant in the universe. But on the other side of that change is rebirth or a new life. And that brand newness is really that clarity that I'm referring to. So, here's the, this just in, I always like to say, like you know, like they do in the news, this just in. Um, You get to choose the adversity that transforms you. You've already chosen the one that woke you up, which is why you're sitting here. You're already into presence. You're already into now. You're already into this idea that you and God are connected, that you're part of the same thing, that you're connected to that source, and it's in you and it's outside of you, and there's no difference between the two. You're already there on that. So the only thing left is how do you manifest it in the world? How do you bring that out into the world? And uh, in your personal life, in your professional life, whatever. If I have any concern about what's happening with uh, the spiritual movement across the country, it's find your man, find your money. Become conscious and get rich. And there's the the narcissism, you see. That's how you know it isn't real. And what they're really doing is they're really attracted to the idea of presence, and yeah, you gotta be attracted to presence because most of us have been absent two-thirds of our lives, right? Do you remember when you got here? I did. And I went, where in the hell is everybody? That's my first reaction, you know? And and so it's a real eye-opener to spend your whole life absent, come to a place of presence, and then go like, wow. And I've got a teenager I'm working with right now. who's 19 years old that's getting this. And he's freaking out because none of his peers have a clue. He's so far ahead of the curve because he's a gifted compassionate. What is that? Somebody who has a close relationship with their own suffering. That would be a gift of compassionate. But it isn't just enough to have a relationship with it. You have to use the suffering to transform you. So you could have the gift of being a sensitive person. We call them empaths, we call them intuitives, we call them healers. But if they're not transforming themselves, they're just making a buck off of their presence. You see what I mean? And it's really an interesting paradigm but it is, it is a paradigm that we're shifting out of. So um, so the God within is male because it's manifestation, it's doing There's some outside action that has to occur. The provocation of the human spirit is provoking the ego into action and it's really trying to provoke it into a moral course originally until it's provoked into a, a, a course of ethics. And what's the difference between morals and ethics? Everybody thinks they're the same. What is the difference? Morals are the rules, ethics is the context. If you got the context, you don't need the rules. You don't have to be a fundamental Christian to be rigid. That's the curse of the ego. The ego is rigid. Why is it rigid? Because it only wants to stick with what it knows and what it understands. It only knows the past, can't contemplate the present, doesn't see the future. So the ego by design is fundamental and I was saying to one of the folks before the teaching today is that to me, fundamentalism of any kind is arithmetic. You can run your life adding, subtracting, multiplying, dividing, you can balance your checkbook, you can run your business, that's arithmetic. But there's something called math, which is algebra and plane geometry and calculus and physics. These are higher math. Those based upon our belief system today would be divinity divine information, algebra. I can't do algebra, Pretty divine to me. So so people that are stuck in a fundamental view of things are stuck in that rigid, egoic, narrow perspective inside the viewfinder, right? And so uh, that's huge, that's used to understand that. that, that you're a fundamentalist as long as you're stuck in the egos, as long as you're serving the ego. So the transformation, moving from an epiphany to a catharsis is literally you moving from a place of presence to a place of transformation by choice and by saying that this will be the suffering. This will be the suffering that transforms me. And you can go out and create a whole brand new one or you can just take what you've already got. And everybody that's in this room above 35, (laughs) and I'm just cutting that number off for the fun of it, has got plenty of suffering already. And what do I mean when I say suffering? Do I mean adversity and hardship? I mean suffering with yourself or for yourself because that's the other distinction here that I'm making. In 35 years of doing this, 10,000 patients, amputees, quadriplegics, 85, 90% of my patients came into the hospital felt like they were being punished by God. That freaked me out. And so I wanted to understand how did they get to that that description of, of, of this, you know, which God are we talking about? And of course, they always say there's only one God. Well, so he actually has two faces. <clears throat> he has this wrathful judging side, and he has this forgiving side, so which one do you worship, you know? And um, so this business of choosing the adversity that wakes you up is huge, don't you think? Do You think you already have enough adversity in your life? You, you think you need to create anything brand new? Not really. Now you know what patterns are. We go and we talk about this in my profession all the time. You know, that's a pattern, you know. What was the last guy like you dated? That's a pattern. You know, what was that last woman like that you you were married to? Well, that's a pattern. You know, well, yeah, but what the soul would say is, is yeah, I'm showing you the pattern until you get it. You know, and, you know, we say three times is a charm. It's taking you six, you know. It doesn't make any difference. How many times it takes, wake up. Because the soul wants to be here, wants to be here in this moment, in this experience. And so the soul's intelligence, which is absolutely incredible, wants you to be present so that you can be the best version of yourself and the best version of what it means to be here. Uh, one of the things that I, uh, I've got some really wonderful Christian folks that I know down in Richmond, Virginia, who were kind of like surrogate parents to me when I was in the orphanage. And I saw them a couple weeks ago, and when I was doing this book, I said, "You know, I'd, I'd like for you guys to read this and give me, because I really want to know what a, what a mainstream Christian is going to think about what I'm writing here. Because I, I know I'm going to be stepping on some toes, I'm going to be saying some things, going to create some, you know, some some controversy." And they've been so precious about looking at the book for me and, and, and helping me with that. But uh, it is it is a profound time to uh, to be where we are in this experience and uh, I don't know about you but I've had a crap load of adversity in my life and I stopped collecting that about at 39 or 40 so almost 20 years ago. I had a couple other things to do before I got here 100% but the adversity kind of I stopped creating and sabotaging my life. So personal power let's talk about and then I'm going to close what is it in people that feel powerless? One they feel separate from the source. Two, they think they're alone. And if they could just find somebody to complete them, they feel incomplete, the missing piece. That was three. Four, they're angry and they don't know why. Do you know why everybody's so angry in our culture today? Ever thought about it? One of the curses of the original beginning of all these teachings we talk about in Western thought is we are taught to be afraid of being afraid. Isn't that profound? The fear of fear itself is the power that God has has over us in the beginning. Take the word God out now and say the ego has over us. The fear of fear itself is the ego's power. And so what do you feel? You feel angry because you've lost the capacity to make the distinction between real fear and imagined fear. That's called paranoia in the culture. And are we a paranoid culture today? What are we afraid of? terrorism, the stock market crashing, teenagers. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that because, the DSM, not me personally, but the DSM-5, which is the Bible for, for disorder, is coming out with a new phobia, it's fear of teenagers. Do you know why? Because the baby boom generation, which is my generation, was 75 million strong, right? Guess how many teenagers coming up in this new generation? 85 million. Mm-hmm. Teenagers, yeah. So you got 75 million of us on one end, 85 million teenagers on the other. For your teenagers, uh, the last one is people are just tired and exhausted. Depression and anxiety are epidemic in this culture. Epidemic, because people are afraid of being afraid, not getting a sense of that. So what? How do you find your personal power? Well, first of all, your point, your point of power is presence. The compass, I tell people all the time, the compass isn't broken, the needle's stuck, just tap on the glass. That's it, just, you know. And people will say to me all the time, well, what about the right thing and wrong? I said, just find out what north is, you'll be good. (laughs) Just follow what is true, not what is right. Because sometimes what is right isn't right. Does anybody in here get really upset when you go in to buy a beer or a pack of cigarettes, and somebody cards you for that. Maybe it's just my juvenile delinquent. I stand in front of these cash registers at sixty years of age, and I go, What? I wanted my whole life to be twenty one and you're carding me for this? Yeah, I mean who made this up? You know? Well it's the rules, but doesn't make it right. You know? Uh, so your point of power is present, being in the presence. The other thing is people that get to this place of personal power is they realize that the world is the mirror for their soul. In other words, your soul's intelligence orchestrates your life exactly as it's supposed to be orchestrated. All you need to do is wake up and see the orchestration. If you see that, it makes perfect sense. How many times have you felt in your life that you thought it was random chance and you go after the fact, oh my gosh, it was absolutely by design. Everything happened as it should have happened. Knowing that the, that, the, that the soul uses the world as your mirror. Taking responsibility. You know, we're talking today about integrity a lot in the culture. You know, be who you say you are. I love people who are, who, are who, who they present themselves to be. Do you guys feel that? Do you ever meet people and feel like, wow, I like that person, don't know them yet, but I like them because they seem to be who they present themselves to be? It's such a refreshing thing to not have to sit through all that egoic stuff. To activate the power within is the evidence of the transformation, that's the male piece of this. So I haven't been using these words today, but literally we're moving from the left hemisphere of the brain to the right hemisphere of the brain back to the left hemisphere of the brain. So we live in a left hemisphere culture which is cause and effect. Right hemisphere sees everything, sees a larger picture. So you have to go to the right side to wake up, you have to go back to the left to manifest it in the world. Pretty cool, isn't it? Which means you become whole-brained. Huh. Isn't that fascinating? Um, the other thing is to be aware of the difference between an epiphany and a catharsis, because there is a difference. There is a difference, and you don't have to be afraid of a catharsis. Has anybody here seen, seen a V for Vendetta? If you want to see, if you want to see a catharsis on a movie screen, so you can stop being afraid of it. CV for Vendetta. It's a sci-fi movie, forget the movie, just pay attention to the relationship between V and Natalie Portman, because V represents the ego. He represents the shadow side of the ego. Pay attention to everything he says, everything she says, and you will witness a catharsis. It's a profound demonstration of what it is. When you see that, you're gonna go like, ah, I could maybe do that. What else? Oh, critical mass is the next part of this that's coming and that of course is this and you know what critical mass is it's that idea that if you pour liquid out of a out of a container once you get to a certain tilt point you don't have to pour it any further it just pulls the rest of the liquid out that's what critical mass is well critical mass is in this context is the more people become conscious the more consciousness is risen the more that happens the more we're ready for the shift
0: Thank you for being a part of The Soul's Intent with author, psychologist, and spiritual teacher, Ernie Vecchio. This is the show that can open your mind to things you never thought possible.